0: Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. And this morning, we will speak primarily to the men, but I know the women will be taking copious notes. The happy home, part 4 of this study, what I mean by happy, I don't mean happy, clappy, slappy. What I mean is happy meaning blessed, happy are those in Christ. We're trusting Him. The happy home, the home that follows Christ is our concern. We've been dealing with the issue of the obedience of thanksgiving in verse, verses 18 to 21, reminding us that as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we are at work and our life is uh, marked by obedience and thanksgiving. We also saw that the church is a family. It's a stable family unit, the church. It's, it's, it has ministries, full of energy and an army of hospitality and consistency and carrying one another's burdens. And then we see the vision of longevity and generational thinking. And all of us should be living for a time that we will not see as we send our children forth and as we depart and go to be with Christ. Powerful reminders. Then we saw last week the reality of of the, the marital challenges that happened when in a fallen world we saw the, the reality that for women the call to submission is not an easy calling. so it's challenging because we're all sinners, women included and the calling to a life of submission is a mark of a believer. in fact in Ephesians chapter 5 we're reminded here in verse 21 submitting to one another out of reverence or fear to Jesus Christ. A word to wives we saw last week, the submission of the wife to her own own husband. We saw the explanation without strife that it is a calling for her to be submissive to her husband just as the church is submissive to Christ. And then we saw the application that is the church is called to submit to Christ and therefore a woman a married woman should submit to her own husband in everything that was the calling we saw last week and now this morning we want to look carefully at this next segment and that is this there's three points husbands are you loving your wife husbands are you longing for your wife and then thirdly husbands are you cleaving To your wife? Or have you left your parents? Are you leaving for your wife? Coming into a a two flesh, becoming one flesh union before the living God. Let's read carefully then. Verses 22 to 33 of Ephesians 5. Paul says, Wives submit to your own husbands as For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, it's a profound mystery. It's a calling, he says, I'm referring to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Or once again, we're mindful of the great challenges that are before us in marital life because we know, Lord, from your word that we are great sinners. And with remaining sin and the battle to fight sin each day in our lives, we're reminded of the war, and we ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your grace, your strength to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. As I was saying a moment ago in my introduction, the concern of course, is whether we know the Lord. One of the greatest challenges to those who profess to know Jesus Christ, that that take up holy matrimony, is are they truly Christians? It's the greatest challenge when you're dating someone, when you're seeking to see whether they're the right person, you better get one thing right. It, It better be someone who's a genuine Christian. Otherwise, you will face great challenges and sorrows. Tough enough Marriage, Having a, a marriage that's married to a true Christian who's being sanctified, to be married to someone who's playing games, is a disaster. So it's a powerful reminder then that we should not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit as the marks of our lives. And this will help us in our perseverance as wives to our husbands, and as husbands to our wives. But I have a question I want to begin this morning with, and just want to ask you to answer it to yourself. But as, in all seriousness, as I ask this question, I think this will help us guide our teaching today. And that is this Did God give the wife or the husband the more demanding role in marriage? based on what we learned last week, the wife joyfully submitting to her husband, and then now the husband loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Powerful reminders here. Here's again the question. Did God give the wife or the husband the more demanding role in marriage? I'm not asking for a raising of hands, but I could answer it initially this way. It's an overwhelming demand for sinners to have such a high calling, whether it be submission or whether it be loving the wife as Christ of the church. But I would say this, when compared together, I would say the man has by far the greater challenge. We want to talk about that carefully this morning. Both are challenging. Both are impossible without the Holy Spirit. But what we want to focus on this morning is the reality, I believe, is that the greater role, the greater challenge is for the husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church in the way Paul outlines it through the Holy Spirit. Let's look at our first point then, as we look carefully at this passage, verses 25 to 30. Let me read it again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ Loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And we were talking last hour. Tyler brought up, what was the theme, if we could all remember off the cuff, the theme of our church? What was the motto that we have always held to? I think Alan from the inception, right? From the beginning 40-something years ago. Does anybody remember that? Hopefully you do, but I'll just quote it for you. To be disciples and to make disciples. But there's another quote I would like to add to that as you think through that whole... Perspective, and that's from A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said this, only a disciple can make a disciple. And so what we see in this passage here is a reminder here of the need for the husband to be the spiritual leader of his home. It involves fundamentally a life of loving your wife as Christ loved the church. In other words, if I could put it this way, I would say this. Christian marriage is founded on a husband's affection for his wife. Men, how is your affection quotient, if I could use that terminology, toward your wife? It's a powerful thing to think about because this passage could be translated, husbands, love your wives. It could be translated, husbands, go on loving your wives. Continually love your wives. The mark of a marriage is a husband who leads his home, loves his wife, and loves his children. I read a lot of disastrous examples this week as I was doing my background research on this passage. So I have to confess a lot of the biography I saw in my own life as I was examining myself of the inconsistencies, the, the battles, the failures, and but Blessed be God, he enabled me to repent, to keep on repenting, and yet not making excuses, and, but in more specific areas, the focus is loving my wife affectionately, particularly, and then three points I want us to see under this first point, and that is this. This love he's talking about, this love for your wives, should be a sacrificial love. Secondly, it should be a sanctified love, and thirdly, it should be a spotless love. And it's only possible if a man knows Jesus Christ and is driven by the calling he's given to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Many men give themselves too much slack. Many churches give too much slack. But the reality of the fact is we're all great sinners, sinners saved by grace if we're believers here in our midst. And we have great challenges in our progressive sanctification as we have to come face to face each day with our own hearts we need to love like our lord jesus christ loves the first way he loved is this he sacrificially loved us through obedience to his father's command to go and die for a people for his own possession it reminds us then of our first calling as a husband here husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Through obedience, then, to God's command, we are to live sacrificial lives. Go with me to Colossians for just a moment. Verses 18 and 19, wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. A reminder then that men can be very easily led into being harsh with their wives, not affectionately loving their wives, unconditionally loving the wives, absolutely loving their wives. These things are pushed aside and men downplay this calling in their life. In Colossians 3, in verses 18 and 19, we see this tr- tremendous challenge. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. How do I love my wife? I live with her in an understanding way. I'm not harsh with my wife. I'm affectionately gracious and loving and godly toward my wife as a way of life, as a mark of my Fidelity to my wife. Likewise, then, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. If she's weaker, we're weak, men, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Why? So that their prayer, your prayers, may not be hindered. What price do you put on prayer in your life? How is your prayer life? We know we know the commands Jesus said at all times, men ought to pray. Luke 18, one, we know elsewhere by Paul and First Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. The calling to prayer is important. So if you were exhorted by God, and we are being exhorted by God here when he says these are concerns that we are, if we're joiners in the grace of life, we need to take heed to this and live with our wives in an understanding way because otherwise our prayers will be hindered. That should be a shock to us. If you have any kind of a prayer life, it should be frightening to you. You mean your prayers could be hindered because you're not living with your wife in an understanding way and gentle and loving and gracious and affectionate to your wife? It should be a stunning exhortation. a shocker. Otherwise, your prayers may not be hindered. If you show her honor. So much here. So little time to talk. But the sacrificial love is the first point we need to keep there. It's a a love that it's through obedience to God's commands. It's it's following after Christ's perfect example. It's reminding us again of this great calling of Christ laying down his life. Go with me to John. Just for a second. John 10. To get a picture. We know these passages, I'm sure. Let me just read 10, for example, to 29. Giving us a taste of, again, how Christ laid down his life for the church. Gave himself up for the church. He died for the church. John 10, 27 to 29. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and I and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than them all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Jesus says, I give, my, give them... He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And no one will be able to snatch them out of my hands. What a powerful reminder. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Secondly, notice the sanctified love. It's a sanctified love. It's one in which the chief end of the man in the marriage, as he's loving his wife affectionately, he has also before himself this idea of sanctifying his wife. It says here in verse 26, so that, purpose clause, that he might sanctify her, set her apart and treat her as holy that she might worship God in her life, having been cleansed by the washing of the water with the word. It presumes the man is in the word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Are you about the word in your life? How is your time in the word, men? Because it's so crucial in your calling of loving your wife here is that you might sanctify her, cleansing her, washing her, with the water of the word, you have to know the word to be able to use the word to disciple your wife. Is, is your relationship with your wife affectionate, not just a physical relationship, but one in which you are affectionately, spiritually affectionately discipling your wife, spiritually feeding her? One of the great calling, I believe, callings of, of our life as Christians individually and as a church family Is this we should desire to pursue being self feeding Christians? Self feeding Christians. Are we thinking in this way where you cannot think otherwise? Are you cleansing? Look at this passage in John fifteen. This passage really it spells it out quite clear. Jesus being the example. He says in verses 1 through 3 of John 15, I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. There's a cleansing agent of speaking the word to God's people, to your spouse especially, speaking the word, discipling the word, quoting the word, reading the word together, knowing God's word, knowing how to help and cleanse and wash and shepherd your wife in this way. Go with me to Galatians 4. Just for a moment. Galatians 4. These are so so many helpful passages. I'll just take a couple. In Galatians 4. Just reminding us again of the the calling. He says in verse 19. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth labor until Christ is formed in you. See, Paul had a, a shepherding heart for the Galatians. And this reminds us here are our hearts to shepherd our wives, to feed them spiritually, to disciple them, to, as, until Christ is formed in them. It's a great calling. I, if, if, I, if I was to evaluate, and I, I'll give you a little smattering of it, but through all the years I've been a pastor, 35 years, in the locations and places I've preached, and the people I've counseled, the predominant, overwhelming challenge that most people ask for help on and, and, and and, and and calling and counseling about is primarily this. How can my husband get my husband to be a, a godly leader? How can I get my husband to start leading and discipling our family in the Word? What should I do? Well, I, and I bring up well. I think family worship would be helpful. You and your husband together opening the Word before you go to bed at night and praying together asking him to start praying over you. And all those other simple examples like that, this is the greatest demand for counseling and help. If men would be men, and affectionate men, not just affectionate for, the, for your wife physically, but affectionate emotionally and spiritually, it would, it would transform our nation. It would transform this, this church, churches as well. It would would cause us to to see the great calling of affectionately leading like our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it says Christ loved the church. Do we love the church? Christ's church. Do we sacrifice for the church? Are we cleansing one another as we speak the word of God one to another? It says in verse 27, it reminds us of a spotless love. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Well, think about this. If that's how the, the love of the husband is to be toward his wife, look, look at the calling here. Is he, is he moving toward in his marital relationship and, and leading his home? Is he moving toward a splendor testimony, a, a spotless testimony, a wrinkle-free testimony Testament, not a not whether your wife has no wrinkles, but spiritual wrinkles, or any such thing, to iron them out through the Word of God, to wash them in the Word. That why that she, your wife, men, and the and the wife of our Lord Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, might be holy and without blemish. The aim is. Leaning at the tape, sanctification, maturity. Do you have a vision for your home, man? Do you have a vision to to lead your family in the word, in prayer? Why? Because you have a, a, a game plan. The game plan is that you might present your wife holy and without blemish. You say, well, she already is holy because she was saved in Jesus Christ and been set apart under the Lord and she's sanctified. That's true. Positionally, she is holy. But practically, is she going on to maturity under your oversight, your tender care, your affectionate love toward her? Are you moving her in that way by your spiritual example? Most men, sadly, church-going men in America, at least, and all the statistics point to it, are like little boys following their wife. The wife's the devout one. Women will follow spiritual leading men. One, one guy said this, I think it was helpful. Does your love for your wife make her more ready for heaven? She's already ready if she has saving grace, of course. But is your love shaping her, preparing her to be more ready for heaven? I remember D.A. Carson Uh, the great New Testament scholar who we've had here before, he said, the great business of the church and especially pastoral ministry is to prepare people for death. Well, here it says. Are we preparing our wives to face God? Are we praying with them and over them and opening the Word with them, encouraging them, because we love them. We love them sacrificially, agapao, affectionately, emotionally, powerfully, continuously. This is calling upon our lives. Another man made this comment. He said, "Are you loving your wife? That you love her. In such, do you love her in such a way that you?" That glorification is in view. You might say, well, explain that a little bit further, Pastor Marcelino. Go with me to Romans 8. In Romans 8, it says, in verses 28 to 30, And we know that for those who love God, notice, for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Well, it's already past tense, so it's as good as done. But are we preparing our wives? Since she's already been justified, are we preparing our wives for glorification? for the finality of history, for the great day of judgment? Are these concepts that are even entering into your thinking? What a reminder. What a powerful reminder. And one of the ways we could help is this, is to personally long for the pure milk of the word that by it we may grow in respect to our own salvation. Are we growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Second Peter 3, 18. This is a great calling. I mean, it, it's easy to say, well, I can't love... My wife, like Christ, loved the church. It's impossible. It's a calling upon our life. We can, by the grace of God, be moving in that direction, be consistently growing in that calling that God's given us, but for us to downplay it and say, well, it's just an impossibility, we don't have that luxury. It's a stunning reminder to ask ourselves the question, are we loving our wives continuously absolutely are you loving her in such a way that she's being prepared with you for that great wedding day in heaven first john 3 it says this first john 3 notice here the language he is pure. Are you preparing her for that great day? What a calling. What a responsibility. Who's adequate for these things? That's what Paul told the Corinthians when he was uh, defending his ministry in Second Corinthians 3, 5, and 6. He said, who's adequate for these things? Well, Paul says, our adequacy comes from God. Well, who, what man is adequate for these things? What man could could enter into this and say, no big deal, who's adequate? I need God's help, the grace of God, to be able to begin each day loving God as Christ loved the church. Loving my wife in the same way. What a powerful reminder. Secondly, not only should we love our wives, we should long for our wives. Long for our wives. Why? Because Christ longs for his bride, the church. You say, what, what do you mean by that? Well, Christ longs for his church to be with him. Well, where do you get that? John 17. In John 17, verse 24, to me, it was one of the most beautiful texts in Scripture, which is, I know, a stupid statement, but nevertheless, it, it's beautiful to me. In John 17, 24, it says, Father, Jesus is praying. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. Jesus right now, if you're a believer right now, Jesus is wanting you to be with him. He's longing for you to be with him. He's not going to the washer. we got a lot of people to save. This is going to take a long time. Well, at some point I'll get to see so-and-so there. No, no, he's longing for all his people, all his sheep to be with him. He's longing in that way. He's presently and continually washing his bride, the church, with the word of God. Why? Because to not provide for Christ's church would be to not to provide for himself, So what's the Christian husband doing? He's providing for his wife so because God has called him to provide for the church. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially. That's what he's saying here. Love your wives sacrificially. This calling is to also then love your wives in longingly. This might be a little practical way of looking at it. Some people, I'm sure, will disagree with me. But nevertheless... The longing idea of Jesus wanting his church with him. Men, is it easy for you to be separate from your wife all day long? Is it no big deal? Work long hours and never even think of your wife, but are all a little bit here and there, maybe. No, the mark of a man who's in love with his wife is he's wrestling with wanting and longing or time with his wife during the day while he's laboring to provide for the family. But notice what he says here. In the same way, verse 28, he says, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now he says this love for the church is is really marked by a love for their own bodies. If you don't love your own body, it's kind of strange. What's What's he driving at? He says, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So the the three points I see here in verse 28, 29, and 30 are loving yourself is important here, because to love yourself is to love your wife. To not care for yourself is to be almost psychotic. To not nourish your, your wife is to not nourish yourself. To not Cherish your wife is because you don't cherish her as well. Notice here the nourishment of your wife, verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now he's talking about something very interesting. All of us live in human bodies. We try to eat to live. Some people eat more than that. But not only should we, do we eat, we drink necessary drinks. We, oh, we have a bump in our, shoulder, uh, our wrist. And they, oh, I got to go to the doctor. I, oh, my eyes aren't working too well. I need glasses. We, we eat glasses. We, we go to the doctor when we don't feel well. And, and, and we eat the proper foods, and why? Why? Because we care for ourselves. We love our bodies. For no one ever hated his own flesh. He but nourishes and cherishes it. Someone who, who doesn't take care of himself deliberately and hates actually goes to the point of hating his own flesh. There's something seriously wrong. Someone's mental health to think that way. So he's saying, are you loving your, yourself? Because if you love yourself, you'll love your wife. If you're nourishing your wife with the word and you're caring for her, and sensibly caring for her, and cherishing her. One man said this about cherishing, the husband cherishing the wife. He said that to cherish your wife is to use tender love, physical affection, to give her warmth, comfort, protection, and security. It means to cherish her, to see her as an amazing gift from God. To cultivate and shepherd her life, her soul, in such a way that she is fed spiritually, cared for spiritually, provided for spiritually, strengthened spiritually, because she's cherished as a gift from God. Nourished through the Word of God. Cared for because we are members of His body. That's what He says at the end of verse. Of this section of verses 28 and 30, because we are members of his body, because we're part of this, the body of Christ, and Christ is our head. Because that's true about us, then what it drives us as is we're members inseparably one to another. We're not just a family, but we're inseparably members one to another, called to love, nourish, and cherish our wives, to care for our wives, to instruct our wives, to explain the word of God to our wives, to not be caught up in the world's ways of loving ourselves, great challenge that so often comes to us all is the culture challenging us in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 and following. But understand this, that in the last days there will be come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, diso- disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, loving, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, have the appearance, having the appearance. Of Godliness but denying its power avoid such people and he goes on to talk about false teachers but, but this is the ch- that's the culture we live in it keeps putting the vice on us every day what are we putting our eyes to what are we put what are we putting our ears to are we spending time opening the book and sharing what we're learning with our wives discipling our families If not, don't be shocked and surprised why there's no affection in your marriage. Don't be shocked and surprised because there's no service, tender care and service one to another. It's a powerful reminder again of our own frailty and it's a lack of cherishing the gifts that God's given us. My favorite verse of the Bible is Ecclesiastes 9. Verse 9, it says this. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Why is there not more enjoying of one's wife? Why is there such tension? The husband's not loving his wife as Christ loved the church. Everything is pushing against it except the tender gentleness of longing for his wife, longing for her in such a way that she feels cherished, she feels nourished, she feels loved undeniably by her husband. If you're here today and you're married and you're a woman, do you feel cherished, loved by your husband? Husbands, does that speak of you? No one's perfect. I agree. No one. We're all sinners. All, only God's mercy can keep us close. But what a reminder here! This loving of Christ, love the church. Christ cherished his church. He, he loves his bride, the church. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. What a reminder! What a powerful calling in our lives. I I, I believe it's more challenging than submission because it's, it's literally overwhelming. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church. I know it's my calling in life, in my married life, to love her that way. It's normative. It's the calling I should be, and I need to aim that way and live that way in such a way to bring glory and honor to her and God himself. Thirdly, verses 31 to 33, husbands, cleave to your wives. Do you have a relationship that allows you to cleave to your wife? Embrace your wife in such a way as to say, you're, you're a gift from God to me. I don't deserve you. But well, what a blessing that God has allowed us to be husband and wife. To leave and cleave. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Elsewhere, it's quoted there in Matthew 19, 9 what God has put together, let no man separate. The two shall become one flesh, Genesis two twenty four. This mystery is profound. He says, but let me explain it to you. He says, he says, it's profound, but I am saying that it refers to Christ in the church. In other words, every marriage is either portraying Christ's love for the church or not. It's it's a profound concern to, to ask ourselves. How does our marriage compare with Christ's love for the church? Do we see that at all a relationship there? Is there such a, a devout relationship? It's overwhelming. I was watching a, a YouTube thing the other day. I meant to share it with my wife, and I kept getting sidetracked. I forgot I wanted to encourage her with this. But it was, it was an old man. I guess they didn't say exactly how long they'd been married, but probably by looks, probably mid-80s, maybe 90 years old. They're both very elderly, and he's in the kitchen with her. She's sitting on a on a chair. And he's trying to fix her hair. And anyway, he, he fixed her hair lopsided. It was like a banana breakaway over here. <laughs> and he, and, she, and she he kept handing the mirror, look, look at this. And she kind of laughed a little. She couldn't quite see it. And then finally... Uh, he just goes, whatever, and goes up and gives her a big hug. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of a husband affectionately loving his wife, even trying to cut her hair, and her even allowing him to try. It. It's amazing. But you could tell by the sparkle in both their eyes that they loved each other, and he gave her a big hug. What a, what a powerful reminder. listen. Men, I stand with you. Our marriages are intended to picture to this world Christ's love for the church. As we go about our day-to-day business, as we walk around in this town and go about our business, people, when they get to know us, do they know that your wife is cherished by you. He says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Second time he mentions that. You take care of yourself, why don't you take care of your wife? It's natural for a man to take care of himself, a woman as well. But notice, then he closes it, and he says, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So the wife has the great challenge of submission to an immature, lazy guy who needs to be exhorted, possibly. And she is called to respect, not just submit. What a calling, what a challenge. But nevertheless, the great challenge is men, every day, are we... Seeking to affectionately... Remember what I said at the beginning of the sermon? It became clear to me that really the Christian marriage, the picture of our Christian marriages are really founded upon affection for our wives. I found seven ways a husband can love his wife as I draw to a close. He can love her, Ephesians 5, 23, by leading her, by serving her, by honoring her, by purifying her, by spoiling her, by reassuring her, and then by enjoying her. What a calling, what a responsibility. And like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he said, because of our sin, these relationship, this relationship and the picture it conveys to us and verses 22 to 33 remind us again of what remaining sin has done to us and how we have to fight lives, have lives of repentance and rejoicing and obedience to God. Christ made marriage in the image of his own eternal marriage. That's the takeaway. We need to see it that way. Let's, Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great and awesome reminder of this high calling. Lord, we're inadequate for this calling. We are great sinners, but your spirit, your spirit filling us as we seek to obey and honor you is a key testimony. Lord, we thank you for the reminder again of your grace, your patience, your mercy as you've called us to cherish and and strengthen and bless our wonderful wives. Thank you for the gifts they are to us. Help us to enjoy life with the wife you've given us all the days of our life under the sun, our fleeting lives. What a reminder, what a calling. Thank you, Lord, for your word, Thank you for Paul and the Ephesians. Thank you for the picture that you've given us of Christ, your, your son, O oh Lord, your son, his love for your church. Thank you, Lord, for Christ's building the church in the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We look to you now and thank you and ask that you would bless us as we move to the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.